Wait a second, wait a second, Christy. Is baseball over? <laughs> Done. Calling it a season. Good for you. How does it feel? Like a tremendous burden has been lifted off your shoulders. <laughs> well, you're here. We just did a little prayer. We just I'll show you real quick, Christy, just kind of what's coming up. Uh, we are going to have Waffle Sunday next Sunday, so 9.15. Uh, and then we'll do our second Sunday on the 10th. And then our Sunday, um, our Sunday gathering in December 3rd, 17th, and 24th will be here. 24th will be in the morning, just kind of a normal church gathering. The 10th will be a second Sunday gathering. And then on the 31st, we'll have a fifth Sunday gathering. See, actually, I can be a lot quicker with what I do here, huh? Um, okay, so the two miraculous events, uh, here's, the, here's the two that we have. You have the feeding of the 5,000. What's unique about the feeding of the 5,000, only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Um, so it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 4,000 is recorded in Matthew and Mark. Um, and the different locations in which these happen also play kind of a big role too. Here's kind of a, a general map of, um, of, of kind of the Middle East or kind of, the, you know, Jerusalem, Israel of that time. So Jesus does most of his ministry up in this area, kind of up around the Sea of Galilee. Um, uh, down here is Jerusalem. This is where Jesus, you know, finishes, ends his, his ministry, his life in, in Jerusalem. Um, so he does, does most of his ministry up here. We talked last week that he had kind of left this kind of area and kind of, or not last week, two weeks ago, but kind of had gone into this area of Canaan, of, of Tyre and Sidon. Um, so he's here now. Um, so when he does the, these two bread miracles, one of them is kind of up in this area, actually right near a city called Bethsaida, and that's the 5,000. And then the feeding of the 4,000 is going to kind of happen out here in the Decapolis. So again, it, I know it's hard to see. This says the Decapolis. This is the 10 cities, the, the 10 cities. So this is kind of where he's going to do these two, these two miracles. One up here by Bethsaida, and then one down here in the Decapolis. The one when he does the feeding of the 5,000, there's kind of two pieces of information. I'm not going to go in and read those, the feeding of the 5,000 again. But when he does this, there's two kind of pieces of information. Um, one of them, again, he does it up here basically in a city called Bethsaida, which means the house of bread. And so this is actually, I don't know how I came across this, but this is actually an artist who decided to build a whole house out of bread. It doesn't look very tasty, but there's all sorts of baguettes and cut pieces. And if you get bored at some point during the sermon and you want to Google house of bread, you'll probably find that. So he does this, this um, miracle in a city called the house of bread, right? And then there's these 12 leftover baskets, right? Um, and the, the 12, as you could probably know and understand, um, the, the symbolic nature of, of the number 12, right? And in, in, in the Bible, what does the number 12 stand for? Jacob, right? So think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. These 12 sons form the 12 tribes of Israel. When the high priest would go in before the Lord on the Day of Atonement, he wears a very special breastplate. And this breastplate has 12 precious stones incorporating the 12, to, to represent the preciousness of these 12 tribes of Israel, 
right? Um, Jesus chooses the 12 disciples, right? He has these 12 disciples. Again, that kind of corresponds to the 12, 12 tribes. You could think of it as a new Israel. Revelation talks about, um, about the tree of life, which provides fruit for the 12, um, the 12 tribes. There's all sorts of this number of 12 in the Bible. Um, the symbolic connection again here, as I said, the 12 disciples have 12 leftover baskets symbolizing the feeding and satisfying of all of Israel. Remember in John, I think it's in John 6, that Jesus calls himself the bread of life, right? He is the provider in abundance for all of the new Israel. And it's, I think this is so important as you think about the way that Jesus operates because it's one thing to say who you are, right? And it's another thing to show who you are, right? Jesus is showing people. He's demonstrating who he is. So as he feeds the 5,000, he then shows the people who he is. He doesn't just come out. He does say he's the bread of life, but then he provides the bread, right? Almost like a new Moses providing that bread of life for people in the wilderness. So that's a, kind of a little brief recap of the feeding of the 5,000. And then let's read this narrative in um, Mark chapter 8. Uh, and this is on page 705. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked? Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went into the region of Dumanusa. <laughs> Good. We actually were going to stop there. Um. We're going to pick up 11 through 13 next week. but um, So here's the feeding of the 4,000, right? This is the one in, in Mark uh, chapter 8. Again, going back to this map. Again, this is going to happen in this city of the Decapolis. And one of the things that we learned as we thought about the number of baskets that were left over, the 12 symbolizing Israel. Again, what does a 7 symbolize, right? Like, what does a 7 symbolize? I had, a, I had a couple guesses. I don't know if any of these were what was specifically on Jesus' mind when he talked about the number 7. But... Um, what do you think, Johnny? <laughs> there it is. I have no idea what you just said, but there. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry about that. That was um, maybe funnier at some point when I thought about those number sevens. But um, uh what does this number seven represent? Let's go to the book of Joshua. I know we've spent some, some time in this, and I want to recap this, and I know that we've kind of even made this, this Joshua reference 
This is such a critical moment of the, the nation of Israel, the story of Israel, the, the, um, what Jesus is coming uh, out of and explaining. And again, he would have known this and he would have swam in the stories and, and just been completely enmeshed in these. So Joshua chapter 3, um, there's verse 7. Maybe that's what it was representing, 7 through 11. I'll read these. Um, and just real quick, I'm going to go back to this. Um, in, in this story, Israel during Joshua's time, right? Here's, again, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea. Here's the Jordan River, right? This is the promised land, the land of Canaan that God had promised to the Israelites, right? The Israelites are camped out on this side of the river, right? On the, the western, no, the eastern side of the river, right? They're camped out on the eastern side of the river, they're being given instructions on how they are to enter into the promised land, right? Again, the problem with the promised land at the moment is it's occupied. There are actually people living here and tribes and nations and towns and villages and cities, right? But God has promised it to them and he's now giving them, giving the instructions to Joshua, right? Joshua is the leader after Moses. He's giving instructions to them. So in chapter 7, the Lord is speaking to Joshua, or chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord is speaking to Joshua. Today I'm going to begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the water's edge of the Jordan, go, Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the Lord... Uh, that the living God is among you and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, right? Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jeb and Jebusites. See that the Ark of the Covenant um, of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And then what they're going to do is they're about to cross over with the Ark of the Covenant into this land and God is going to deliver uh, the land, the promised land of these seven tribes, okay? So as he does that, right, as God does deliver that, that land, again, here's, here's the map. You can see they're all listed here, Hittites, Gergeshites, Canaanites, Amorites, Jebusites, Perizzites, Hitt Hivites, right? These seven nations of, of Canaan, right? Is it Canaan? Canaan? How would you say that? Canaan? Canaan? There was a, I did a race, there was a place in, <laughs> I'm way off tangent, there's a place in West Virginia called uh, the, the Canaan Valley. Anybody ever heard of that? No? Stunning, stunningly beautiful. I did a, a race in, um, when I was a kid, it was called the 24 Hours of Can uh, Canaan, and we called it the Canaan Insane, um, and it was like a 24-hour race, so I always, anytime I hear that word Canaan, I always think about the Canaan Valley um, in West Virginia. Back to the Bible. It's like a strange commercial break. Um, so here's, again, here's the seven nations. They move in. One of the things that happens is they move in and they conquer these seven people groups. These seven people groups, I know I've preached on this, they get, um, they get sent out to this region called the Decapolis, right? They form this region called the Decapolis. So when Jesus does his ministry here, on this side, right, in Israelite territory, right, there's the 12 symbolizing the 12, right? When he comes out here, right, into the Decapolis, think about those seven nations. 
that had been driven out, right, from the conquest. We could say it like this, if you're looking at these side by side, right, this could be like a really big, obvious point that the Bible is just trying to make to us. Jesus does the feeding of the 5,000. These 12, these 12 leftover um, baskets full of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? It's Jesus, again, showing people who he is, claiming to be the bread of life, the provider in abundance for all the new Israel. Take for a moment, just for a moment and consider this. Most of the people in the ancient Near East don't understand what it is to have food in abundance. We take that for granted, right? That they would eat enough food that they would actually have so much food that they would have leftovers. Like that's just kind of normal how we think. Uh, this, was a, this was and still in many places is a hand-to-mouth culture, right? What you had in front of you, you ate. And if it was a lot or a little, that's all you had, right? Having leftovers was a luxury that probably maybe some of them have never, ever in their lives experienced, right? He does that for the Israelites. He does that for the 12, representing. Then he goes across into the Decapolis. And the seven would represent these seven displaced tribes, right, of Canaan. And Jesus claiming to be the bread of life the provider in abundance for who? The Gentiles, right? For the Gentiles. Jesus, I would put it like this, Jesus is subtly and symbolically defining his vocation. Again, big picture, right? Look at what Jesus is doing. His mission, not just to the Israelites, but to the entire world, the once enemies of the Israelite nation, right? These were the people who were driven out. These were the hated ones, right? have now been brought close and satisfied by his feeding, right? So Jesus does this, and he does this symbolically, right? He, he does this, he doesn't just kind of come out and say, well, this is what I'm doing, but he gives them a symbol. And the reason that he gives them a symbol is because symbols are far more powerful. You have to understand this, this is why we take communion. Symbols are far more powerful than just making a statement, right? Here's a great symbol, and I think... Let me see. I think everybody here has one. Here's a great symbol. What's this? Wedding ring, right? Um, when you have your wedding ring, right? I've done a fair amount of weddings. I guarantee you, probably not one couple in this room, like vividly remembers the words, the promises, the vows, all of those. Like you have like some vague memories of your wedding, right? But really... One of the things that you have, one of the symbols that you hold on to is, is this ring. And you understand what this ring symbolizes and represents, right? And it's true because if I were to come up to you and I, were, I looked at the price of this ring, okay? The price of this ring, here's, here's, here's what I did. Here's the research that I did. Um, I weighed it. My ring weighs seven grams. The price of white gold is about $33 a gram. So more or less, this is about $200, $210 worth of gold. And if you came up to me, Chris, if you came up to me, Eric, I'm going to make you a smoking deal. I'm going to offer you $500 on that ring. You can make right now in this moment $300 on that little piece of gold, right? And I would say deal. 
<laughs> I said, you're crazy. Like, there's no way, right? You could add a zero behind that, right? I'm going to pay you $5,000 for that ring. And I'd be like, nah, nah, we're, we're good. Now, if you had another zero, I might have to think about that. But, but, you know, this ring is worth far more because of what the, and we know this, right? The symbol of what's behind it, right? Um, I was thinking about my espresso machine. You guys know my espresso machine's down right now, and it's just, it's just like I don't know what to do with it, and I'm paralyzed, and I finally ordered parts because my espresso, my espresso machine has become a symbol for all that is right in the world in the morning, right? Just that, that kind of routine, that process. And again, it's, it's just like a hunk of metal appliance, and I should just toss it out the window and just go buy the new one. But you know what it's like? That... that machine has become, you know, a symbol to me. Um, I keep often little, little notes in my Bible from my kids. Um, and again, these notes are just scrap pieces of paper. This one just says, I love you so much, dad. This was like the, um, you guys know, this was from 2021, the, the, my dad kind of things. Um, and uh, again, just all these little symbols that are so near and dear to our hearts. And this is what Jesus is doing, right? Because symbols create a reality that's greater than words alone, right? He's, he's painting this picture symbolically. Jews and Gentiles, this is what we get to view. This is what we get to see that are satisfied and fed and whole and included and blessed. Um, so I think like, I think that's the big picture, right? If I were to say, this is just kind of the big picture is Jesus is just painting this big picture symbolically of both Jews and Gentiles being satisfied and included. And there's abundance and there's life, right? For both, for both sides, for the Israelites and for the Gentiles, right? This 12 and the seven, um, three other small things that I want to jump in on, um, there was a book I read a couple years ago. It was called The Wisdom of Stability. Uh, really helpful book for me, um, especially as I think about the church and think about life and think about the way that I, I want to be. Um, if you go back to Mark when, in chapter 5, when Jesus heals the demoniac, um, as he was getting into the boat, right, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him I'm getting distracted because I think that one of my middle child is having a problem back there. Um, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell and where? It's capitalist, right? How much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed, right? Um, so, you know, again, I think we made this comment or maybe we were talking about this during this time. But if you ever wanted to have like a, um, a poster child of deliverance, right? This would have been the guy, the guy who was possessed by the legion of demons. Jesus heals him. Hey, let's bring him along in the boat. Let's, you know, tell people, let's let him, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to go actually back to your village. I want you to stay here. I want you to live here. And I want you to tell people how much the Lord has done for you, how much he has done for you, right? And maybe as he, as you kind of think about this, right? Um, 
the great crowds that come to Jesus during this time, 4,000 people, right, are coming to an area where Jesus hasn't done much ministry. And most commentators are, prob- are drawing the connection between, man, this guy went home with a testimony. And this testimony began to spread in the Decapolis, right? And then when Jesus comes back into this area, the people are there for Jesus, for healing, for feeding, that Jesus is accepted and welcomed there, which wouldn't have been normal. Um, the wisdom of stability, a couple stats too. I, was, I, I, I just have been thinking about like, just the transient nature of our society. Three and a half years is the average tenure of a pastor. That means that in the life of our church, you would have probably had almost four pastors by now, right? 40% of church plants don't make it past year four. Um, 4.6 years is the median tenure for employees. Uh, Six to seven years is the average time someone lives in a home. 8.2 years is the average length of a marriage. 7.2 years is the average car ownership duration. Uh, A third of people lease a car, 36 months versus buy one. Um, And I, I, you know, again, here's, here's what I would say about this is that when I think about this, right, and I'm, I'm connecting this to, to the demon-possessed man who was told to stay in his area, to pave the way for Jesus to come and do ministry. We live in such a transient, portable, movable society that has its advantages, right? But I think that also we often feel the ground kind of shifting and moving beneath our feet. And we talk about this, the world's just changing all the time, right? Everything is moving all around us. And again, back to this guy, Jesus tells him to stay put. I don't know who this is for, but I just think about this often because sometimes people just need to like hear this. You know, I feel like the way that the Lord spoke to me a couple weeks ago, you know, maybe at the moment you're kind of thinking about you're ready to jump ship or you're fed up or you're sick of, you know, whatever the grind, a relationship, a neighborhood, you're bored, whatever it is. And I just think that there's such wisdom and stability in staying in a place of setting down roots, of not jumping into the boat and going around. Jesus says, just go to where your home is. Tell people there how much the Lord has done for you, right? Somebody in here, it just needs to hear these words just to stay where you are, right? There's purpose for you exactly where you are beyond what you can see. And your stability will become your testimony. All right? So I think that's one thing that else we pick up from this feeding of the 4,000. The next thing is, uh, I just put down recording our blunders. Right? Recording our blunders. If you go back to verse 33 um, in, uh, in, in chapter 5, right? There's, there's remember in the, the feeding of the 5,000, right? The disciples say, but where in this remote place can anyone uh, find enough food? Where, where are we going to find enough food in this remote place? Um, in the, or I'm sorry, in, in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter, that's wrong, chapter 5. Um, where in this remote place can anyone find enough food, right? That's going to spend, we're going to have to spend so much money 
on food, right? And so you have this, um, I got these a little confused, right? In, in chapter seven, it's an economics question. We don't have enough money to do this, Jesus. How are we going to feed all these people? It's going to take more than, more than half a year's wages to, to get all these people fed, right? And then in chapter eight, after Jesus had done this miracle, right? They're in a remote place and Jesus said, they're like, well, well now it's a geographical question, right? First it was an economic question. Now it's a geographic question. And you would think, right? You, you, I would think that if I had seen, how many people are like, man, if I had seen that first miracle, 5,000, right? If I had been there, I wouldn't have made that mistake twice, right? As a matter of fact, right, Mark would have been, Mark would have put Jesus to the test. You, Mark, right? You, Mark, would have just said, Jesus, I remember what you did with the 5,000, and here's what I have for you this time. I have some breadcrumbs and some fish bones. Let's see what you can do, because Mark is a man of faith, right? Right? The disciples don't do that. The disciples are like, ah, you know, Jesus, we actually, we got less this time. Let's see what you can do, right? Now they're like, oh man, Jesus, last time we didn't have enough money. This time we're in a remote place, right? They, they just, and again, we've talked about their blunders, right? The not hearing, the not seeing. John Christendom, one of the um, early church fathers, he says it like this. He says, I want you to admire in the apostles their love of truth, Though they themselves are the writers, they do not conceal their own great faults. And it is no light self-accusation to have so soon forgotten so great of a miracle. Right? The disciples admire that in them. Right? They forgot. They lost faith. They had to be, um, anybody get crazy with their kids when you have to tell them something twice? They had to be told twice. Right? And it's just like us. Sometimes we have to be told twice, no matter how big of a thing is. Uh, James 5 through 15, I think this is why, you know, we, we get this verse in James where it says, you know, just, just tell each other the wrong things you've done, right? Just confess it. Like, you don't have to hide it. Again, we can admire that in the apostles. We can learn from that in the apostles. James says, tell each other the wrong things you've done. Pray for each other. Do this so God can bring healing to you. The fact that the disciples had to be told twice on such a grand scale miracle brings me hope. God, you've had to tell me 20 times, 200 times, right? Anyone who lives the way God wants can pray and great things will happen. So um, I think so far the two things is, um, you know, just that wisdom and stability, recording our blunders. One last thing, asset-based ministry, um, and, and here's what I mean by this, asset-based ministry. Need-based versus asset-based. In which we turn the table around and ask, what assets, what fish, what loaves, what gifts, talents, passions are here among us? And how can we bring that to the community? Um, Dale, Dale Bruner uh, has, has this quote in which he says, who was reflecting on this, says, what do we have here in hand, however slight, that we can offer to the Lord, to our Lord for service of the world? Let me, let me try and explain this asset versus need-based, okay? Here's, here's a great example. Let's think of it this way. How many people are on those, those local Facebook pages? Who here is on those Facebook pages? West Garden Grove, Community Watch, Neighborhood Watch, you're on next door, right? And we always see posts like this. 
right? Somebody stole my, I mean, Chris got your catalytic converter stolen, right? Somebody broke into my house or was this creepy person. Now, a need-based ministry would say, man, there's a real need in our neighborhood. Night watchmen. We need people to patrol the streets at night Right, we need people to patrol. That need-based ministry would say we need people, and so I, as your pastor, I start seeing these things. I'm like, man, this our church is going to serve this need of the neighborhood. Christy, you're up tonight. 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. is your shift, and you're going to be driving your golf cart around. Okay, Mark, you're up tomorrow night. You're going to do the 1 a.m. to you know what I mean. And I look, and I really just kind of cajole you, and I start quoting scriptures about like you know denying yourself and picking up your cross. And I, you know, outfit you with pepper spray. And like, we're going to serve the needs of the community because this is a real need for our community, right? Um, but the, the asset-based ministry, right, would turn the tables around and they, they just it, it ask in a different way. And it just says, like, what do I have? What might you have to give to the world through Jesus' name, Right? What do you got to give? What, what again, the, 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 in the Bible, the fish and the loaves, right? What gifts, what talents, um, what, I don't know, like, what, what could you bring? What's, what resources do you have in your home that you can give to the world in Jesus' name, right? Perhaps instead of cajoling you into, um, into, uh, becoming a night watchman right you just i don't know like i was i the example that i kind of came up with was like hey anybody in in this uh in this church just have a bike that's not working that well you want to just bring it over to my house and i'll fix it for you i'll put a new tube in it i'll lube the chain i'll make sure everything's uh everything's tight everything's all the i'll just make sure that's working for you i just want to do that right it's an asset that i have that i can give to the community in jesus's name right Anybody need a cup of coffee? Just want to have a cup of coffee together, right? I'm going to put, I got, I ordered parts for my espresso machine. So my espresso machine, I'm going to try and re- resurrect that thing. Pray for that, my espresso machine, right? Like, I'm going to try and resurrect that. But, you know, again, you just think, like, what do you have? I, Christy, I think about, I mean, I don't know why that just came to mind, but I know that you have that little cricket, and I know that you've done some, I mean, to me, that's just like an asset-based ministry. Okay, I have this little crafting tool that I can use that I can provide for other people, right? I mean, Chris, I, I you know, we've been working out the last couple couple weeks, and that's been so good for me, and you just have a couple kettlebells and some weights, and just like, hey, this is just something I can provide, and just, I mean, I'm taking advantage of, of your kettlebells and your weights and your little yoga mats, but that's just something that you can, you know, um, and so I could, I could go around the room, but we'll, you know, but again, just what do I have to give through Jesus' name, right? So let's pause it there. I think that's enough for this morning. Uh, the, the praise of problems of pushbacks, Imagine Jesus stays in and around the Jewish communities, never goes into Gentile territories. You have to think about how revolutionary that was. Um, how would that change the trajectory of our faith? 
right? Is there a symbol you hold on to that draws you closer to Christ? Uh, the wisdom of stability, recording our blunders, asset-based ministry, which one resonated with you most and why? Uh, who's the one person in your life who you can share your faults or your blunders with? So take a few moments on those and then we'll have some discussion.